The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. You found the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Here's the host, Bill Spone. Greetings, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. In my research recently, I came across an online training-type product called Sim Building. It's simbuilding.info. And that led me back to a connection I had already made with Amanda Hatherley, who works at the Energy Smart Academy. She's actually helped develop the Energy Smart Academy at the Santa Fe Community College. Today, we'll be talking with Amanda on the podcast about engaging adults in technical education. And I think that really aligns with the goals of the Building HVAC Science podcast because we're trying to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, trying to demystify these two separate worlds, which sometimes exist so separately, and help the two professions better understand each other. So in this episode, we'll get the chance to hear about someone who is actually doing that training aspect, communicating, and doing some unique things in terms of online training and hands-on training combined. So coming up, Amanda Hatherley with the Energy Smart Academy. We're going to be talking with Amanda Hatherley. We'll be talking about the subject of engaging adults in technical education. And we had that sort of clickbait pre-title, PowerPoint is dead. Amanda, you seem very alive. Are you alive there in Santa Fe? Yes, yes. It's great to hear from you. <laughs> Good. Tell me a little bit about the Energy Smart Academy and your role there at Santa Fe Community College. Yeah, so I'm the director of the Energy Smart Academy, and we are associated with the community college, but we don't do that typical two-year college student type of training. We are a profit center for the college, and we do energy efficiency training for working professionals. How long has that been going on? We've been doing this for about eight years. We were originally funded by the Department of Energy in 2010, 2011, to do energy efficiency training for weatherization. And since then, we've been doing it for weatherization and over to the private sector. So our topic here is about engaging adults in technical education. Tell me about that. Sounds like there's a transformation in your program across those eight years. Tell me a little about where it started and what you realized and what you're doing now. When we first started doing this training, we were also given a small grant to develop an online component for our training. And I realized I knew nothing about online training and I it was really difficult to do. And so that was when we started re-envisioning everything that we were doing here. We were also doing a lot of that PowerPoint where a student would show up and they would just sit there and have like an instructor talk at them and show them PowerPoints. So we looked at how we were doing our training and we just reimagined the entire thing. So now what we tend to do more of is everything that used to be sort of PowerPoint oriented, we make into small little bite-sized videos that we host online. And that's sort of evolved away from having students have to sit in a classroom with an instructor giving them information to have the student access online at their own convenience and the information that they need. And we've sort of progressed that way a little bit. In fact, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a hands-on component to it at some point? Yeah. So if you can imagine, probably some of the training that you and a lot of your audience have been to where you'll go and there'll be a whole lot of information that you have to get through. And then there's also some hands-on component. So you'll go and you'll show up to the classroom, let's say a week of training. And 
probably about three of those days you're sitting down watching the instructor talk and show powerpoints and you're writing notes and then you sort of rush into the field work and sort of trying to do that while you're trying to remember all the stuff that you learned in the sitting with the powerpoints so what we'll do is we have usually a two to three week short online course that the student will be doing before they come here so when they come here nearly the entire time they're here is just dedicated to all the hands-on it's so much more successful and students love the training because you know, most people who are involved in building science are, get into it because they like doing things rather than sitting learning stuff from a textbook so that's how we do it now talk about some of the topics in the building science things that are done online and in the classroom what are some of the sort of the major topic areas you covered and how it's structured so imagine that you have to learn about combustion testing there's a certain amount of theory that you do have to understand before you just walk in with the equipment and start trying to diagnose what's going on with a furnace for example and so everything that would be more of the theory side of things we'll do in the short videos. And they're just little engaging videos with quizzes afterwards to check your knowledge. And the benefit to that is that if you really know that stuff, you can sort of go through it fairly quickly. And you're not sitting in a classroom for four hours waiting while people don't understand or the instructor's going through something that's really basic. And on the flip side, if it's something that's a confusing topic, which sometimes, for example, combustion testing can be, you can go back and watch those videos three times and sort of get to where you're really familiar with it so that when you come here to do the hands-on component, you've got the level of familiarity that you need to be successful. Is there any self-testing or quizzing that goes on so that you can see if your knowledge is being reinforced? Yeah. What we usually do with our courses is we'll have a little maybe five-question pre-quiz, and they're all questions that are going to come up in the video. And the videos, we keep them under five minutes because people nowadays with their attention span, if you have a 15 minute video, people start to really check out after three to five minutes. We'll have a little short video and the key components of that, we'll do a little pretest. And that's just, it almost primes your brain, even if you don't know the answers at all, to be catching that as you go through watching the video. So it's not graded or anything. You just do those little quiz, the quiz and you think, well, I, I don't really understand that. But as you go through the video, you're recognizing, oh, that was in that question. And at the end of the video, there'll be this exactly the same quiz with this exactly the same questions, which at this stage, you should be able to realize, oh, I know that now. I know that. And it's a great way of transferring information into your brain. And it's also a really good way to build confidence because you see how what you didn't know. And then five minutes later, it's like, oh, I do get that. So we do a lot of that. Yeah. Do you ever see people? dropping out after they sort of realize from the videos that sort of this low level of investment of time and effort that it's not for them. Does that ever happen? We've had some people do that. We teach a, quite a range of classes. And I would say that we used to be a ResNet training center for the people who do the energy ratings on new homes. And I think that was where we would get the most dropout because that's pretty intense. And we'd have people who thought, I want to be a HERS rater. And then partway in would realize that they just didn't quite understand what it was going to entail and it was too much information for them. We try to keep it so that in our course descriptions, people know what they're getting in for. And so they know what they're signing up for when they do. Right. And I'm sure that's refined over the years of doing this. So tell me about a typical student who would come to this training. Yeah, we have a bunch of different types of students. The majority of our students for the last few years have been people who work in the federal low-income weatherization program. 
because they have a specific amount of training that they need to do and need to keep up with every year. And then people who are affiliated with that program. So we do have people who are doing some HVAC for weatherization program, or we've had people who are working as inspectors for the weatherization program. And those are the individuals who are contractors working within the program. And they'll sign up because they need to take some of these classes to continue being able to offer their services within that low-income program. We also have done the more basic BPI building analyst training, which is a shorter training than some of our others. And we also do some commercial energy efficiency training for people who work with large buildings. So what's your reach? Where are your students coming from? Texas, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, New Mexico. We had someone last week from Nevada. That's most mainly people from those states. Do you offer, it sounds like a somewhat unique approach. Is that what you think allows you to draw from literally thousands of miles? I think it is, but I think also it's because the Department of Energy requires people working in that low-income weatherization program to take specific classes, and they have to take those specific classes at a program that is called IREC accredited, which is jumping through all kinds of hoops <laughs> to show that you have a really high-quality training program. And we've done that along with maybe 12 other training centers or maybe a few more nationwide. So because they aren't in every state, we've kind of expand our reach out that way. For the listeners, IREC, is that the International Renewable Energy? It's the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, I think. Thank you. They set up standards, and did it take a while to become accredited by IREC? It did, and it's expensive, and it takes a long time to do it the first time, and then you have to annually reapply, and then every five years do a complete new application, which is what we are ready to do this year. And it's a lot of detail and paperwork and showing that you've got a curriculum that has got good like, tests and exams associated with it, good ways of testing knowledge, and that you monitor it and you upgrade it. And there's a lot, a lot of detail. But even though it was very time consuming and quite expensive to do, I absolutely appreciate the value because all of what we have to put in to be able to be IREC accredited I've really seen the value of our training program and how much better we are than before we did that, just because of all of the hoops we are continually jumping through. My training's in mechanical engineering, and for a while I was an accreditor for an organization called ABET, the Accreditation Board for Engineering and Technology, and I visited, during the time I did that, about four or five college programs, and then got to review documents in advance. And I know all the information, and then you, you do get accreditation visits, someone coming in to actually see what you have, or is it done remotely now? Every five years, we get someone in person, and if there was some issue, they would come earlier than that. But every year, we have to send in a lot of the documents that we use. We have to show, for example, that we're having regular curriculum meetings to discuss how our curriculum is being implemented, and that we're evaluating and the students correctly, and that we make changes based on those evaluations. There's just a lot, a lot that we do, but I think it definitely means that if you do find a training center that's IREC accredited, you're really going to get a good quality program. And it's a way of showing that you're doing all of this. <laughs> you mentioned earlier these online resources, the videos. I imagine they're restricted just to the enrollees in the course. They are, but I must say there's so much great information out there now like, for example, if you were going to be showing somebody how to do a blower door test, there are some great blower door videos that are just on YouTube. So instead of having to recreate that ourselves, 
will put that on so you can just link to it and embed it into your course. And so there's a lot of information that we haven't had to recreate. And for example, for the blower door test, just to so you've got an idea of what we do, we'll have those videos in there. And if you've been doing blower door tests all your life, then you obviously would just like skim through and think, oh, I know that. But if you're brand new to it, it gives you a familiarity of, oh, what's this all about before you come here and sort of look at a blower door for the first time. So you've already got that familiarity. And then when you come here, it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And so then when we're teaching you, you have that a little bit of that in your mind already. But there's great online open source information. In fact, we've even developed, and I know we might talk about this, some online games and simulations that are open source and free. I just had a thought here. Maybe you should publish Amanda's picks. <laughs> the top picks? The top picks, yeah. Yeah, I can tell you a cheat that I did too. Sometimes when I teach these classes, one of the assignments we'll give students to do is to go and find, for example, really good high quality video on YouTube that's short about, for example, indoor air quality or or some aspect, or you, know, you give them some information and it's called a scavenger hunt. The people who are taking the class really enjoy that because it puts them, they're hunting around on YouTube and they have to make sure that it's something that's valid and that isn't got incorrect information. And then they'll post it up for other people who are in the class to see and other people, and then they might look at some of the other ones. But that's been a great way for me to find new videos too, because the students do all the work. Student labor. Perfect. Yeah. So let's circle back to that topic about the simulation, which is actually how this whole interview started, how it came about as I came across the sim that you developed under a grant. Can you talk about that, please? Sure. We developed some online game slash simulation with a National Science Foundation grant in partnership with a group from Massachusetts. And the goal was to make some of the topics in building science a little easier to understand because, for example, when you're in a classroom or you are doing it online and you're trying to get across topics about like moisture movement through building materials, then that's all microscopic and it's really hard to understand if you just like being told it. And the same thing when you actually think about a house and the 365 days a year and the night and day and the different seasons and all of those different conditions that can act on a house. If you're only there on a Tuesday afternoon in the middle of summer, it's going to be very different to imagining what it's going to be like on a December in the middle of the night. So the games were supposed to be help people grapple with that, but in a really visual way. So we did two different kinds. One was a real simulation called Energy 3D, and it's totally freely available. And you can basically either use a model of a house or you can create your own house. It's all drag and drop and you can stick different types of roof material on and change the windows out. And it's just all like clicking and dragging and dropping. And once you've got your house, you can change the location, you can change the time of the year and you can change the orientation of the house. You can add trees to the house and there's a lot of different variables. And you can either run like a daily or a monthly or an annual energy simulation, which will then give you a sort of a graph of different times of the year, what the energy usage is on that house. But I think what's even better is that you can do it visually so that you have these like little arrows coming out of the house or going in showing how much energy is being, for example, lost in the middle of the winter. And in the middle of the night, the arrows out of a poorly insulated roof, for example, will get really long and reach out. And then if you sort of add insulation by clicking on that component and sort of upping the values, 
you run it again, you suddenly see these arrows of heat, a really little. And so you can do that with all the components of the house. And you also see the infrared image of what's happening. And you can cycle that through days or cycle it. And so it's a visually you get to, and you get to see the shading of the trees and how the sun at different times of the year is affecting it. And it's a really fun way to figure out on the big scale (laughs) what's going on in a house at different times of the year, different building materials. So that was the one simulation we did. And then we did another one, which was sort of an infrared game. And I don't know, have you seen those simulations that I think Intercaz did? One was for ResNet and one was for BPI? Yeah, the Interplay company. Yeah, that's right. Interplay, yes. So they have those house models where you walk inside and you pick up tools and you do things with them. And this one, which we call Sim Building, is similar to that, where you're walking through a house and you pick up different tools, mostly an infrared gun. And as you sort of sweep around with this infrared camera in the house, you see different anomalies. And each time you see a different, like a problem or something that's happening there, you zoom on it with your camera and a little question will come up and you have to answer the question based on what you're seeing with your infrared image and figuring out, is this a moisture issue? Is it an air leakage issue? And there are various things you can do. Like you can, for example, if you think it could be, you're not sure if it's air leakage or not, you can click on a simulation of a blower door and that will create more air leakage and the image will change to show more air sort of leaking in at that spot or not. And that will give you like hints as to what the answer might be. And so that one is more like a game where you hunt around. That's unbelievable. So is this totally free and available to anyone who wants to go see it? Yes. What are the web addresses? The web addresses, it's just simbuilding.info, I-N-F-O. That has got all kinds of information. It's got some instructor resources, but it directs you to the two different simulations, the simulation and the game. Perfect. Well, that should be interesting for our listeners to take a look at that. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. The thing that people do get confused about is that on the one which is called Energy 3D, the, the, the simulation, it's really all oriented to the building shell. It does not have like HVAC equipment inside it. That was just a whole other probably million dollars worth of development probably. So it's all like changing windows, changing insulation levels, changing or and then all the orientation and the locations. You can have it in Kathmandu if you want. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's got thousands of locations all over the world. That's pretty fantastic. So a little bit about you. You don't sound like you have a New Mexico accent. I'm from Texas. <laughs> no, I, I joke that. I'm from New Zealand originally. Were you working in this field, either in education or in the energy field in New Zealand? No, I started doing that here. Where I was working with a contractor and then I was much more interested in doing the energy efficiency side of things than what he was having me do. So I became a ResNet and BPI trained back 10 years ago. And then when the Department of Energy gave out a lot of funds in the hour period, when there was a lot of funding, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the college here was given a, a big grant to develop a training center. And because I had already been doing some teaching here for contractors, at the time, they hired me to run the program. So your perspective over these 10 or so years since you became a ResNet and BPI certified, what have you seen change? Is there any acceleration, deceleration, change of where all these programs are headed? I think to me, what I notice most is the professionalism, I think, has gone way up on the energy efficiency training side of things, where 
it seemed to me like 10 years ago, people were just like going quickly. The joke was a shoe salesman would go to a one week course and then be out having an energy efficiency consulting business because <laughs> there was a lot of money for that type of thing years ago. I think what I notice most now is the amount of training and the amount of knowledge that people are expected to gain to be able to call themselves a professional in the whole energy efficiency side. I know that there has been a big push in the last five years or so, I guess, from National Renewable Energy Labs and BPI and the Department of Energy to have the four different job qualifications, I guess, where there's an energy auditor, a crew leader, a quality control inspector, and a retrofit installer. And each of those have extremely difficult exams. They're certainly not easy. And you have to have hundreds or maybe thousands of hours of experience before you can even sit for those exams. And they just did not exist until about five years ago. And I think that's really up the level of what I see, how people are doing work. That's great. And then I also, on the training side, I think the same thing. I mean, I know that it seemed like everybody was just standing around in a classroom with PowerPoints. And now I think there's much more innovative delivery of information to people than 10 years ago. So if someone's listening to this right now and they're thinking, well, I, I know about that market, I know about those things, it sounds like things have really made a transformation. W would you say that they started to reach this level of professionalism in the last five years, two years, three years? How long has it been where you started to really feel like it's coming together? I think within the last five years, because with the whole the hour time period, there was a lot of money out there and people were just trying to spend it and get numbers of things done with all of that money. And I think since then, there's been this real push that you need to have different certifications and you need to know what you're doing in the works. You know, there's not as much money. It's a little tighter of a, a well, definitely in this where I am, you have to have a higher level to prove that you're good at what you're doing because there's, there's more competition, I think. What would you recommend someone do? I imagine if someone's interested in this topic in some of those states you mentioned, if you're in the, the West to Southwest, but what should someone do if they're not in an area close to you? What could they do to begin to explore this, to understand what potential it might have for a career change or to augment a career? If you're interested in doing something like becoming an energy auditor, I still think that the best basic thing to do is to take the BPI building analyst training. It has no prerequisites. It's a basic entry into learning about the basics of energy auditing. And then once you've done that, if you're working with an organization and you can be learning as you go, I'm not sure how many hours, it's maybe a thousand hours of experience and you have to have taken some training classes as well. You need to document all that you've done this. You can then apply to take, for example, the energy auditor exam that the Building Performance Institute has. And that really is the sort of, to me, the gold standard exam for energy auditing right now for residential. And it's not an easy exam. There's a hard written exam and there's a field exam that requires you to know what you're doing. And I think most people, by the time they've got the experience and they've been done some energy efficiency and auditing work for a year or two, the field exam is not that difficult. But the written exam requires you to have some really solid building science knowledge and be able to apply that knowledge, not just sort of know the answer to something, but be able to think through a scenario and come up with the correct answer to that scenario. So an orientation towards science or at least investigation, that curiosity is pretty much a prerequisite to work in this area, I would say. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to love to be out in the field and investigating things and trying to figure things out and working out why things happen. If you 
just like sitting and writing and looking at a computer, those are all the people who go off and be lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> the people who want to be out in the field, really in investigating something with tools in their hands. This is a great field, I think, for people like that. BPI produces a book called the Building Science Principles Reference Guide. Have you seen that? Yes. And that's a great starter book, even before Building Analyst or as alongside the Building Analyst training. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And then for the Energy Auditor, I know that this has been around for years, but it's still, I think, the best book out there is Residential Energy that's written by John Krieger and Chris Dorsey. It's definitely been around for 12, 15 years, and they've done some revisions. But that's such a fabulous book if you really want to tackle this. And it's definitely a prerequisite for taking the Energy Auditor exam. Absolutely. Yeah, the BPI book is not quite as long as Residential Energy. That's very basic. Yeah, very basic. But if you're just curious about it, it's a good way to start in. I think some people or some organizations actually give an online quiz. You can actually test your knowledge of these basics. But this, of course, is not the same thing as being an energy auditor, but it's a way of getting up to there. Yeah, it's a great entry. Yeah. And we're actually right now in the process of putting together a short online course that goes along with that book just for people who don't want to sit and have to read a textbook, which is going to have all the same images, but done more in a conversational video format. Great. I'll be sure to let us know. Yeah. Where do you gather your information? And are you still adapting and changing things? Are you focusing on execution now? What's sort of in your project list? Just yesterday, we had one of our curriculum meetings where we really start like looking at what do we need to do? What haven't we done? And we're starting to put together a course right now, which is just a two-day course. And it's called advanced general diagnostics, where it's looking at when you've done some diagnostics and you've got numbers, how to interpret that and how to really look at it and what are you getting from Because a lot of time people can get numbers and write them down, but not really in depth know what to do with that. So we are looking at some kind of classes like that. Various members of our staff here go to different conferences and that's a great source of getting new information. I'll be at the Home Performance Conference and then also at Energy Out West and other, other staff will be also. So that's always a huge place to get great new ideas and connect with people and learn what's happening out there. And then just looking at new technologies, I know we were discussing yesterday that there's a gentleman, uh, Dale Sherman, who you probably know. Yep, from New York, yeah. Yeah, he's put together a great training tool. It is a furnace, I guess it's a board. It sort of simulates like an 80% furnace or a 90% furnace and then there's like a bug box which goes along with it, which can create problems for that. So it's like a portable testing board that you can take. It doesn't fire or do anything like that, but it provides scenarios. So we're always looking at interesting new ways to convey information, particularly if we're out in the field and we don't quite know what's going to be out there when we get there. Here we have a very comprehensive lab, but sometimes we do field training and it's helpful to have portable, cool kind of tools to use. Yeah. Dale's quite a craftsman. He also has like a dollhouse, but it simulates air movement and pressure testing. Yeah, we have one of those. <laughs> that's a pretty interesting device. Yeah, and that's we use that in the field. Like if we're going off to do training that's not at our lab, that's great. And this is sort of another version of that, I think, apparently, but it's sort of a, a smaller and it's more related to all the combustion testing. And so those conferences you mentioned, Energy Out West and the National Home Performance Conference, I'll put links to those in the show notes also. The Energy Out West is happening in, is it Arizona? Is that correct? Yeah, at the end of May. To me, I think if you're in this field in any way, I think it's imperative to go to a local conference or one of those conferences because you just, 
meet people and learn new things and see what's happening in the industry in a way that you can't really do just sitting in your office. Absolutely. Are you going to be at those? Oh, absolutely. I should say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, but I'm going to be presenting and attending Energy Out West and the National Performance Conference. Absolutely. Great. Another great resource, I think, for people is the Home Energy Magazine, because and they have that online and in person. Print edition. Yeah. Yeah. That also gives you all kinds of great information. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to convey to our listeners? Although I know we sort of mentioned if you're somewhere in the country and you do want to get trained, I would go to the IREC website, which is the Interstate Renewable Energy Council. I remembered it. Ah, good. <laughs> and look for a training center because there may not be one in your state, but there'll probably be one one state over. Because I think that the level of training you're going to get there is going to be way above, not obviously every other training. And there's some great organizations that may not be IREC accredited. But if it's like a toss up between Joe's training center down the road and an IREC one, I, I would tend to trust the IREC one a little better. And this, of course, it's an industry sponsor one. Like say an organization that is, or say, for example, if you were doing a training on combustion analyzers or something, that would be obviously very different from the guy down the road who just sort of puts up a shingle and says, I can train you. Right, right. It sounds like you're very passionate about this. Is there anything about you that makes you motivated to do this? Anything in your makeup, your experience, your personal interests that drives you along this road? Yeah, the, originally I got into this because I wanted to be involved in something that would have an effect on the environment and climate change and all of the things that can benefit the world by doing something that helps change the trajectory we're on and also help people, I think, live in homes that are more comfortable and safer from a health standpoint of combustion gases. And so they all tie in together. And I just feel like this is a great industry to be in from a, like helping people, helping the world. Great. That's what I'm in it for, too. It's for now and for the future, for future generations. If someone wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way? Through LinkedIn, through email, through uh, your Santa Fe uh, website? I think the easiest way is to go to energysmartacademy.com and there's a contact me page. Or you can email me, but if you know how to spell my last name, that's just got a contact page. But it's amanda.hatherley at sfcc.edu. And you might put that link in the notes because people spell it wrong all the time. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. But the email is very easy. So I usually have what I call the hot seat question for everybody I interview and invite on the show, and it's not that bad, but what's your, either your favorite quote, an interesting book you've read, or perhaps the current book that you're reading? Okay. I'll tell you my favorite quote is, you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. Interesting. So there's that aspect of it's filtered. Is that the kind of the vibe that I get there? I mean, it's filtered through your own perceptions? Yeah, I guess. And it's how you are yourself is how you're seeing the world. Not The world isn't like this external thing happening to you, maybe. <laughs> Very nice. Anything to wrap up here? I think we've uh, covered a lot of ground, got introduced to your program, to you, uh, your passion about education and helping people visualize and really understand some of these topics that are mostly invisible, like infrared and moisture movement and things like that. It was really great to have you on. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's been really great chatting with you. Super. So I want to thank you for coming on. And if anyone who's listening has any questions, the outro notes will have some email addresses in there if you want to get a hold of us, or you could follow us on Facebook if you want. So thank you very much, Amanda, and have a great day. You too. Thanks.
thank you for listening to today's episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take a look at the show notes for some links to some free resources on this Energy 3D simulation and the simbuilding.info. They'll all be there in the show notes for you. You can find all other trade-oriented podcasts of the Blue Collar Roots Network by going to bluecollarroots.com. We're trying to do our part to help transform and professionalize the trades by filling in the skills gap through training and communication. If you like what you heard today and you've not subscribed yet to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of one of these three services, the podcast app on Apple or Android, and Google Play Music or Stitcher. You can also listen in your browser at bluecollarroots.com forward slash building dash HVAC dash science. If you want to keep up with other things that I find interesting, you can follow me on Facebook by typing Building HVAC Science into the Facebook search bar. We tend to post there a lot of different things, articles, notes, connections, things you might be interested in. I'm going to close here with the thought for the day. And I guess actually it's the quote for the day. It comes from Anthony J. D'Angelo. It ties perfectly into what we're talking about. Develop a passion for learning. If you do, you'll never cease to grow. I think that's a really nice note to leave on. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Building HVC Science Podcast, please email me at bill underscore spohn, S-P-O-H-N, at bluecollarroots.com. If you're in the market for any of the tools or test instruments we mentioned in our podcast, take a look at what True Tech Tools has to offer. You can use the discount code HVACBS for a nice discount. Full disclosure, I'm one of the owners of True Tech Tools. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you tune in again to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. <music>